Hello, Bookstu viewers and listeners. I Usually at the beginning of every show, I tell you how I came across the author and the book that we're going to be talking about during the episode. And I don't know if I've really explained how lucky I am that publishers send me books. And I don't like everything that they send me and some stuff I put aside. But um, fairly frequently, a book that they send me will just have immediate appeal. And this was the case for the December episode. So I'd like to welcome Kirthana Ramasetti, who is going to be joining us today to speak about her new novel. It's her first, and it's called Dava Shastri's Last Day. And I guess you can tell by the title that something not great is going to happen to the character. But um, Dava, let's uh, say hi and let's plunge right into what makes a twist at the beginning of your book. Uh, sure. Do you want me to just explain the, um, the idea behind it and the thought process of and, the twist? Yes. And what I, I read, uh, listeners, I have to tell you that I've never read a book with this kind of opening, so it's very unique. Please go ahead. Sure. So my novel is about Dava Shastri. She is a philanthropist who is learned she has a terminal illness. And upon learning this, um, as a person who's always been obsessed with her legacy and how she's perceived by the world, decides to do something very audacious. Um, she gathers her family at her private island for the holidays and lets them know that not only does she have a terminal illness and she's going to take her life in a matter of days with the assistance of a doctor, but before that happens, she's going to leak news of her death early so she can read her obituaries. Um, her family is horrified, and then Dava is soon horrified when her plan backfires on her and her two biggest secrets are revealed to the world. And so with the limited time she has left, she has to make amends with her family, and she also has to make peace with the choices she made throughout her life. So at, when you and I talked a little bit before the show started, I was like, I'm not going to tell everybody <laughs> about this incredible <laughs> twist because I don't want it to be a spoiler. But then when you pointed out that it's right on the book jacket, I'm like, okay, we can go ahead with this. This woman is well-known the worldwide, has probably had more publicity than, you know, than any woman you can think of as, you know, she heads up a very large philanthropic organization and she's um, very, very, uh, I don't even know how, she's very powerful and yet somehow it was important to her to know what people thought of her even though she'd received awards and so much acclaim, to the point that she would deceive the world by um, announcing her, having her death announced a day early. Was there a real person in mind when you wrote this? What, how did you even think of starting out with this? It's so unusual. Uh, sure, there's no particular person in mind, but it did come from my time as an entertainment reporter for a local paper here in New York City. Um, so often as part of our coverage, we had to cover any time a celebrity passed away. As part of that coverage, you had to be attuned to the real-time social media reaction where people were expressed their shock and dismay over the celebrity's passing. And then also you would see a lot of stories about how much that person meant to the world or to this individual. And I was always taken by that flow, that real-time collective outpouring of grief that you would see on social media any time the news passed away. 
And it made me wonder, would other notable people see this reaction and wonder what would be said about them when their time came? So this kind of negative an idea was always in the back of my head for a couple of years. And then when I heard that song from Hamilton, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, uh. and the message of the song is so beautiful. And it's just about the fact that none of us have control of what is said about us after we're gone. And it's largely in the hands of the people we leave behind. And I just thought that was a beautiful lesson for a character to learn throughout the course of a novel, a character who would make this crazy, <laughs> crazy decision and plan to want to know so badly what the world thought of her that she would actually announce her death early just so she could read the coverage. So that's where the idea came from. And there's also a conflict because she seems to care much more about what the world thinks of, thought of her than she does about her own four children. And you've, um, you've mixed some really great personalities in with the four children. So she is not only um, a philanthropist and a very powerful woman, but she's also a mother. And she has tried to give responsibilities to her four grown children that they're not necessarily willing to accept. And I think your portrayal of the strains of their relationship, not only between the mother and the children, but between the siblings themselves, was very well done. Um, how did you develop the four children? Oh, that's a really good question. So when I first came up with the concept for this novel, I just thought, well, first of all, I thought, who's, who's going who's gonna to be this person who does this crazy, audacious thing? And I decided it would have been very easy to have it be a celebrity because so, so a lot of celebrities get very self-involved. And it, I could definitely see a famous person do this. But I thought it would be more interesting um, if it was a person who kind of created their own success on their own two feet and didn't have any help. So they would be that much more... Um, their legacy would that be that much more important to them. It wouldn't just be about how they are remembered, but also about the fact that their name would live on through the actions of their family upholding the thing that they started. So once I can kind of conceived who Daba is and what was important to her, it was important for me to come up with four children kind of represented different aspects of what it would be like to grow up in a family when you have such high expectations of you, but also have the privileges and the wealth which means that the work ethic that Daba had that so fiercely that kind of was what propelled her to these heights, when you, co when you grow up with that kind of wealth, you're not going to have that same drive. And so I decided that these four different characters would represent the four kind of tensions that Daba would have with her children, especially because she wants so much from them and expects so much from them. So you have one son, the eldest, who resents his mother for having these expectations on him and kind of pushes back on the idea that he's just expected to follow in her footsteps and work at her her philanthropic foundation. But at the same time, he doesn't want to necessarily give up the wealth and the comfort that her lifestyle affords. And then the second eldest daughter, um, she's nicknamed Daba Jr. because she pretty much followed in her mother's footsteps and runs, helps run the organization. But at the same time, she's starting to chafe a little bit at her mother's expectations that she will do everything her mother asks of her. The middle daughter, Kali, she is a free spirit, she's artistic, she kind of marches to her own beat, and so she has very unconventional relationships that her mother does not understand or her respect. So Kali, even though professionally she's right where she wants to be, personally she feels like, she feels uh, upset that her mother just doesn't accept her for who she is. And then the youngest son is um, the baby of the family, so he's of course indulged a lot. 
and he's several years younger than his three elder siblings. And but by being the youngest, he also lacks direction in his life and doesn't quite know what to do with himself. And um, so that's the tension that's explored with him in terms of what his mother wants and expects of him and the fact he doesn't have any sort of work ethic because he just doesn't have to. I, what, what, the, uh, what the children made me think of was, and since there's so much music in the book, and I'll have you explain that in a bit, was the song from Hair, so I date myself, that's called Easy to be Hard. And, you know, the lyrics reflect um, someone who cares greatly about the bleeding crowd, but not about a needing friend. So um, most of Dava's attention was focused outward toward what her um, foundation could do for people who needed assistance. But there, you know, in her life were her four children who needed her on different levels and not until the end did she understand the dynamic that she had set up. But speaking of dynamics, one part that I really loved in the book that I'm gonna ask you to read was about Dava's husband. So Dava does have a husband, though when the book begins, uh, she's been a widow for a while. And the way she and her husband meet is just charming and memorable. So um, I'd love you to read a little bit from that section. Sure. I just uh, set it up a bit. So this is a passage where Daba has um, spending time with the person who will soon to be her husband. And they met at the Peace Corp and they volunteered together. And they're, they're at the final night together in Argentina where they're volunteering and they're trying to decide on their future and what path they will take. And so this is a passage where they actually listened to an album together while they were in Argentina trying to make this decision. So this passage is from her remembering that part from her life. Dava looked at the phone in her hand and saw the screen showed the Mercury Rev album, Deserter Songs. So many emotions hit her at once. Love and nostalgia surged inside her, but also a deep melancholy at the idea of hearing this again, at this point of time and by herself. As she glanced at the surrounding ocean view, with the sunset beginning its gorgeous fade along the horizon, she realized why Rev had decided to do this for her. Dava let, out a song, Dava let out a long sigh and then pressed play. Behind her, the first song burst joyously out of the speakers as if it were a genie let out of its lamp for the first time in centuries. Dava was surprised by how immediately familiar it was, as if she had listened to the album on and off for years, rather than hearing it for the first time in nearly half a century. Can you believe it? Dava whispered to her husband, as if he were sitting beside her. How lovely to hear this again. Watching the, dim, watching the sky dim into a deep shade of peacock blue, Dava thought back to her and Arvid's pivotal final night in Argentina, seated side by side on their backpacks as a fire crackled in front of them. They hovered together so they could easily share the single pair of earbuds plugged into Arvid's discman, with the left one in Dava's ear and the right one in his. So she had never listened to the album with both ears, let alone in surround sound. She was incredibly moved to hear the music again, with a similar view that had greeted her and Arvid all those years ago, and let herself weep with pleasure. There had been a time Dava could recall everything they had spoken about that fateful night. 
But as she thought back to that time now, she can mostly only recall how it felt. The encompassing happiness of sharing those hours together, coupled with the heart-fluttering stakes of having to determine their future within that time. But one conversation they definitely had was about starting a family. As only children, both had longed to have siblings when they were growing up. Dava to share the burden of her parents' American dream aspirations, and Arvid so he could feel Arvid so he could have felt less alone after his parents died, and decided that they would have three children, close in age, preferably two girls and a boy. They made the decision with so much optimism, as if it was as simple as choosing items from a restaurant menu. And for a few years, their post-Peace Corp lives did come together easily. They smoothly progressed from cohabitation to marriage to first-time parenthood, all the while pursuing their respective careers. Of course, there were times of stress and struggle, marked by too many nights of cheap wine and ramen, and later, dirty diapers and a lack of sleep. But overall, Dava's early years with Arvid in New York City were content, varying on blissful. And that was before Sony bought Medici artists for an absurd amount turning the couple into millionaires overnight. The highs were so high that neither knew how to cope when the bottom inevitably dropped out. Oh, sigh. So one <laughs> thing about them is that uh, she, come, she is an Indian American and he comes from Scandinavia, which I That's thought right. was an interesting, but there wasn't really much about a culture clash. They didn't really seem to have one, which I thought was um, unusual. Do you want to talk a little bit about their backgrounds and how somehow there, did, there just wasn't a conflict where I think a plot point could have been the conflicts between the cultures? You know, I think if this novel was a different novel, I could have probably touched on that more. But at the same time, I just think they had a very unique relationship. I think one thing that they bonded over with the fact that neither of them were from this country in the sense that her daughter's parents had immigrated from India and Arvid had come over from Sweden. So they kind of had this, both these bonds of kind of being outsiders in this country, which I think let them, let the relationship blossom in a way that the fact that they had that in common. Um, but again, that you're, I mean, that is something that could be touched on, but I think as I say in the novel, Arvid's kind of this rare creature where he's just very empathetic and giving and understanding, and that goes a long way in terms of smoothing out the relationship and the kind of bumps that other people might otherwise have. So your experience as an entertainment reporter, how much is the, your love of music, which shows so clearly in the novel, how much is that related to what you loved when you grew up, when you were growing up, and when you were a young adult versus what you covered as a reporter? Oh my gosh. I mean, the, the interesting thing about this novel is that I, when I set out to write it, I kind of decided just to be completely indulgent and just put in everything that a long time fascinated me or anything I loved or was obsessed with. And music was a really big deal for me, especially when I was growing up. Uh, that's what Dava and I have in common. Probably the only thing we have in common is the idea that our love of music really shapes who we are and kind of inspired us to reach for the things that we wanted. So when it came time to write this novel and decide who Dava was and what shaped her, I thought it'd be great to give her not only a, music, a background with a love of music, but also that love of music is what helped her launch her career in terms of the first business she creates, which is called Medici Artists, which is a music platform. And so what was lovely about writing this novel is just about the idea that 
I think music plays a, a large role in so many of our lives and just kind of having the ability to weave in the way music means so much to Dava and is a touch point throughout various points of her life and what certain songs mean to her, what certain songs, um, how they influenced her and kind of created the person that she is. Um, yeah. So um, one thing that also struck me is that although she's extremely wealthy, um, she's not like Elon Musk or one of those people who just kind of shoves their wealth in everybody's faces because she does so much to benefit other people with her good fortune. Um, I th so I thought it's one of the first uh, times of late that I've had any sympathy for a character or a real person who has that much wealth. I thought uh, you developed that very well and you made her sympathetic without making her out to be like Mother Teresa. At what point did you decide that your character would be someone with such enormous wealth? I mean, the private island aside, <laughs> um, she obviously can do whatever she wants to do, but she chooses mostly to benefit other people. So the wealth, uh, the fact that she'd be very wealthy kind of came in early into my process in developing this character. Honestly, it was sort of like problem solving. So in the sense that if I was gonna have a character who's gonna announce her death early so she could read her obituaries, I soon realized I just needed her to be very wealthy in order to be able to maneuver certain things and have it play out in the way she needs it to and to go very smoothly. So that was why she, I decided to make her a very wealthy person. And if she was gonna be very wealthy, then it makes sense to make philanthropy as part of her legacy and as part of what drives her in terms of using her wealth for good. And so, um, yeah, that, that was the main component. I didn't want her to be an Elon Musk figure or, you know, I, but I do want to show that she was complicated. She's not perfect. There's a lot of ego that drives who she is and what she does. But um, at the same time, she definitely has good intentions, but those good intentions don't always mean that <laughs> good things will happen. So um, is, she, did, she does obviously die. Was it hard to let her go? Um, you mentioned uh, an interview I had done with uh, author Naima Coster, and I remember during my interview I said to her, how could you let these characters go? Like, I, you know, I want to know what happens to them. I also want to know what happens to the four children very much. So uh, A, you had to let Dava go, but B, is it possible that we'll see the four children again in a sequel? To answer your question about letting Dava go, it was never, it was always hard, easy to let her go because it's always my intention that she would pass away at the end of the book. And it's funny because some people have said to me, at a certain point, I thought maybe she would change her mind. Maybe this wouldn't happen. But for me, that was always the intention and the goal. Uh, so it was easy letting her go in, in that sense. But she is an amazing character to write, without a doubt. And then to touch on your second question about whether we'll see the children again. Um, for me, there's this chapter in the book where I kind of touch on their futures after the events that happened at the island. And I thought that was my way of showing what the impact of this weekend and what their mother had done and how this impacted them through the rest of their lives. So that was my way of kind of continuing the story and let every, the reader know what they would be like, what their lives would be like going forward. So you're not answering my question. <laughs> um, I don't envision that right now, but I would never say never. You just never know. 
Do you have any other, so what's, what's your plan uh, after Dava releases on November 30th? And do you have a few novels hiding in a drawer somewhere or what's, what's gonna be next for you? Well, actually I am working on a second book with Graham Publishing that I'm pretty excited about. Um, also touches on <laughs> some my preoccupations, a lot of pop culture in there, a lot of celebrity gossip in there. And I'm very excited. I'm very excited to be working on that. Okay, so you still won't make a commitment, but I'll, I'll still hope that there's a sequel involving these four. Sometimes, you know, I'm thinking of Elizabeth Strout, who I love, who takes characters from one book and kind of moves them between subsequent books. Hmm. Um, you also went to Emerson College, which of course people here are very familiar with. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, going, to, going to Emerson and did you um, become an entertainment reporter based on your graduate school work or how did that come about? But, yeah, so um, yeah, in early 2000, I, I, started at Emerson in 2001. I moved, I'm originally from Southern California, so it was a big move for me to go from Southern California to Boston, but I really loved it. I, I learned a great deal. I had some amazing professors. But the interesting thing is one of the classes that was most formative for me was actually a nonfiction class. It was a column writing class, and that was where I first started honing my ideas in terms of the things that inspired me, influenced me in terms of books and music. And I did some columns in that class that ended up being one of my, some of my first published pieces. So that was the inadvertent way I got um, started with my, my um, journalism career. But in terms of fiction, I um, actually wrote a novel as my thesis project while I was there. Um, I had a, an amazing professor, one I'm still in touch with today, and she actually passed it along to an an editor, and I almost ended up getting it published, but it just didn't quite work out. And so, that kind of that that experience of writing a book and having that kind of attention, but and reaction, but when I went back to revise it, it just wasn't workable. And so, since that point, I've always knew I wanted to try writing a novel again. I just didn't know it took me about twenty years to do it. Oh, it really <laughs> did take twenty years. Yeah. Wow. So 20 years of putting it in a drawer for five years and then coming back to it? or So over 20 years, cult, our culture has changed so greatly. How did you, did you have to like remove whole chunks that didn't make sense 20 years later? Oh, I should say this is a totally different novel. This oh, is a novel. Okay. I wrote okay. a completely different family and then just decided it wasn't workable. So no, this Dava Shastri is a, a novel I wrote pretty recently. So how long did it take you to write it? It took me about two years. It took me about two years, yeah. Um, it was a very interesting process. I mean, the thing is, so this Dada was my third attempt in writing a novel. I also tried to write, I wrote a draft of a YA novel, um, but I just didn't find it. After I went back to it, after finishing it, I just kind of didn't hold my attention. I kind of found it boring. So if I found it boring as a writer, I couldn't imagine anyone reading it would find it interesting. So. When I decided to write this novel in 2018, I thought, well, let me try to do it differently. Because with the first two books, I had actually pantsed it, meaning that I just kind of made it up as I went along. And I felt like with that concept, like what I have here with Dava, I couldn't do that. I had to plot it out in advance, which is what I did. I created a very detailed outline um, from beginning to end. And I also did a character spreadsheet where I kind of mapped out the family, their characters, their arcs, their relationship to Dava and the relationship to each other and what their arc would be throughout the course of the novel. 
And having those two things as a roadmap was the reason I was able to write this novel. <laughs> and it was the reason why I actually found it a very joyous experience because every time I started working on it again, I was exactly where I needed to do. So there's never any questioning or like, can I do this? I just knew what I needed to do. So plotting the novel kind of changed everything for me and made it <laughs> just, you know, was able the fact I was able to finish it, which I was very happy to be able to do because I just didn't know if it was possible. So you went from being a pantser to a plotter. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and you say that that's uh, what one of the factors in your success. That's interesting to hear because that is a question I ask. I ask frequently of authors and, you know, everybody's got a different, you know, either falls into one or the other camp, but you fell into a camp that had both in it. So that's that's very interesting to me. But I'm afraid that our time is up, and I want to recommend your book to everybody, and it'll be available as of uh, starting November 30th, and it's Dava Shastri's Last Day. And you readers and listeners, you will want to be around for that last day and also for what precedes it and what, for comes, a uh, what comes after. Kirthana, I'd love to thank you for being with me as my guest today. I really appreciate it, and best of luck with your launch. Thank, thank you, you so again. much. Thank you for having me. And uh, readers and viewers, my next guest for January is actually going to be someone who was an editor and uh, has moved into different roles in publishing. Her name is Linda Duggins. And uh, I first had contact with her by her at, uh, sending me a book to promote, and we've kind of stayed in touch. And when her career has changed, I said, this is interesting. I really haven't spoken to anyone in publishing, and even though I'm hitting my 97th episode. So um, please uh, enjoy this episode, and I'll look forward to seeing you again. Have a good night. <laughs>